guys so excited about the series that we're in. Um, I am a disciple. I mean, the thing is, is that if we think about it, every church and every Christian, we have the same mission. The mission is to make disciples. That is the mission. Jesus, the last words that he said to his disciples before he left, he says, go make disciples of all nations. Make students, in other words. The word disciple in Greek is mathetes. It means student or pupil. So the first thing that God wants us all to do is be a student or a pupil of him. And in fact, all through um, Luke uh, that we're actually kind of taking a, a look into, Luke talks a lot about how a student is, is not above the teacher, but it's enough for the student to be like the teacher. So if, if you're a good student, if you're a good student of Christ, you will not only want to learn more about Christ, learn of Christ, learn how Christ, but you're also going to want to imitate Christ. That's what a good student is. A good student wants to be like their teacher. So that is what this series is all about. Uh, last week, we talked about how we were called to follow. Everyone is called to follow. Um, what does that mean, to follow? It means that, that he wants us to follow him, follow his ways, follow his teachings. Um, one of the things that, that uh, and, and this is just kind of me kind of getting ready for what we're doing today, but I thought a lot about the difference between a fool and the difference between a fool and someone wise. You know, actually, there's not a lot that separates them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, He said, the wise man is the one who hears the Word of God and does it. He's like one who would build a house on the rock and when the storms, when the storms of life come, and they will, the wind, when you find yourself in the middle of the storms, that house built on the rock Stands. The only way you can build the house on the rock is by not only hearing the word, but doing what it says. He says the fool is the man who hears the word of God and does not do it, does not apply it. You see, there's, I am convinced that there are so many people who are like, wow, that was a good sermon, but they walk home and it doesn't affect them at all. There's no change in your life. Then it wasn't a good sermon. It might have sounded good. It might have kept you awake. But if there's not a change happening in our life every single day that we're in the Word, then it wasn't a good day in the Word. So I want to challenge you, if you want to truly become a disciple of Christ, you want to be a student of Christ, do what it says. If it says forgive, forgive. If it says love, love. So what you're doing is you're literally wanting to learn. God, I want to learn what you want me to do, and then I'm going to do it. That's a disciple. Not only a disciple, but that is a wise disciple. So today, we're going to be looking at appointed to represent, right? So I, I chose my words very carefully. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 6. And Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to jump right in because I'm, we're going to, I know how long I preach, so we're going to jump right in. We only have, listen, we're only studying verses 12 through 16, so really how long could that take me? But... <clears throat> Quite a while. So, one of those days, <laughs> Jesus went out. So I want you to understand, so we're in Luke 6, we studied Luke 5 
last week. Luke 5 talked about how Jesus was teaching. He had already been teaching in the synagogues. People already knew him. He stayed in Simon Peter's house. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. Um, he, 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 he got into Simon Peter's boat. He then called these disciples to come follow, come follow me. He hadn't actually called them to be any kind of a title. He just said, come follow me. They dropped their, their nets. They left their boats and they followed him. We know that they did that out of a relationship not out of like the first time they met. A lot of people think, wow, Jesus walking down the, the beach and he says, come follow me. And these guys just quit their jobs like that. No, they knew exactly who he was. They knew who he was. That, you know, Andrew, one of John the Baptist's disciples, he said, we found the Messiah. They already, most of them had already believed that he was the Messiah. They just hadn't been, it hadn't been proven to them, but they thought so. They're like, there's a chance that this could be the Messiah. If he says, follow me, we're following him. So, after these disciples, after Jesus is walking around and he's calling people to follow him, listen to this, this is so good. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. He spent all night praying to God. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, right? He's the Savior, he's the Messiah. Why does he need to pray? Isn't he already perfect, right? He's perfect. He was the one who knew no sin, so he's a perfect lamb. In his perfection, why did he need to pray? But yet, do you know how many times in the Gospels it talked about how often he went away? It said he frequently withdrew to a solitary place to pray to his Father. If Jesus, the Son of God, who is perfect Messiah, perfect Savior, our Lord who was there at creation, still took time to pray to his Father. How important is prayer? If there's anything that Jesus is showing us, the first thing that we've got to understand is how important it is to pray. So it says Jesus prayed all night. This uh, I have, it's very small, but it says AMF. That, uh, that is a, a Greek thing to remind me of what I'm supposed to talk about in a little bit. But... He prayed all night. This is a big deal. Jesus didn't pray for five minutes. We went around the room in our discipleship, and I'm not going to tell on who, myself included. We went around, and the average time, the average, there was a couple that went above this, the average time 20 different believers spent praying a day was about five minutes. The average time. Well, I want you to, Jesus prayed all night. Prayed all night. Spent all night with his Father because he knew how important this next step was going to be. Prayer is how a believer talks to God, communicates between God and His people. Now, that's just kind of an easy... Prayer is about communication. It's about talking. It's, a, it's about going back and forth. We, we often get in, and I'm going to get into that, but here's the Greek grammar. To pray here, He prayed, Jesus prayed, is middle voice. And the reason why I wanted to amplify that middle voice is middle means that the action is done by two parties, not just one. Jesus, it says Jesus prayed, but because it's middle meant that whoever he was praying to, which is the Father, was also conversing back. This is a conversation that Jesus, the Son, and the Father was having about what was coming next. Any pastor who pastors a church should be constantly conversing with the Father, saying, God, this is your church. What do you want to do? Not what do I think is best. What Pastor Paul thinks is best. What 
Jackie feels is best. God, what do you want to do? And then we need to figure out how to do what you want to do. Get ourselves out of the way. I want to I share something up. Well, let me show you some misconceptions about prayer. <laughs> I read a book once. <laughs> once. I, I, <laughs> and, and there was a statement in this book. And I really loved the statement until I saw the major error in the statement. I loved it at first because I, then it made me feel like I was powerful. Prayer is moving the hands of God. Has anybody ever heard that? I'm the only one that's ever heard that. I heard a, mm-hmm. how many of you have heard, prayer moves the hands of God, right? Sounds like a great bumper sticker, right? It does. Can you find that in the, the Bible? Is it there? No. That's a misconception. People's like, well, hey, when you pray, you move the hands of God. Is he not strong enough to move his own hands? He's all-powerful. He doesn't need my help to move his hands. He wants me to talk with him. He wants me to share my day with him and him share his life with me. That's what he wants. Prayer's not about me manipulating and strong-arming God. We've got to stop that and understand that's a misconception of prayer. I raised my voice to make sure you were awake. Secondly, Today's prayer is often more concerned about prayer requests than it is about meeting with God. We talked about how much time we would spend in our five minutes of prayer, right? Our, our Wednesday night Bible study. How much time in the prayer is where we like, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Oh God, there's somebody over here. I need you to do that. God, I would love for you to shut her mouth. I would just love for it to be quiet. Yes, Move in her life, but shut her mouth. I mean, you know, like when we start talking about our prayer lives, we start talking about how many things. God is not your mechanic. And I love the illustration of with God as a mechanic, what it's saying is this. It's my car. I'm going to drive the car. I just need you to keep fixing it when I run into stuff. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not so that you can go get what you want. And that's so hard. Because the next part of this is unanswered prayer. A lot of people think, well, God didn't answer my prayer, so he's either not real or he's not listening. Have you ever thought about maybe it's you not listening to him? The hardest thing that Barbara and I have ever went through in our life was when Malachi went to be with the Lord when he was first diagnosed. I remember three days after his diagnosis, I was praying and I said, God, I need you to show me what you're doing. And it was in that moment that he showed me a vision of me preaching. I knew exactly what it was. I knew that I was preaching my son's funeral in high school. I knew it before it ever happened. In fact, when Malachi passed away, the funeral home tried to talk me out of the high school gym. And I said, God's already spoken on that. They said, no, it's too big. You're going you're gonna to be disappointed. There won't be very many people there. You know, it was right before COVID. And, you know, you're going to be disappointed. I said, I, disappointed or not, This is what God showed me. Malachi was still alive when God showed me that. Didn't mean I didn't beg God every single day. But how many times have we asked God something, he gave us the answer, and it wasn't good enough for us, and so we spent months and years trying to strong-arm him because our prayers move his arms. God had a plan for my son. He had an amazing plan for him. And God told me the plan day one. You know, if God wouldn't have told me that, I probably wouldn't have spent months with Malachi studying heaven. 
we study. We got up every single morning and read our Bibles together at the table. The most precious time a father could ever have with his children is studying God's Word. The thing is, is that I'm trying to say that it's not that God's not listening, that sometimes God's already given us the answer and we're just not listening. That God has this plan. And sometimes I don't like the plan. In fact, this very morning I added this next slide in. Prayer develops intimacy. So after the conviction of our five-minute prayer time on Wednesday, <laughs> I went home and vowed that I was going to give God 5% of all of my wake time which came out to 40, 48 minutes a day that I was going to spend in communion with the Father. And, uh, and it's been amazing. It's been the best 48 minutes of my day. I love you. You're the next, the second best, you know, 48 minutes of the day. But, but, but that, and what I've learned is this. This is a true statement. Prayer develops intimacy to the one you're praying to, to the one you're praying for, and your one you're praying with. So listen to me, husbands. If there's any husbands in the house, any wives, I want you to see this. If you're praying to God, that's going to develop really real prayer. Not like just, God, I want you to do all these things. But it's you begin to say, God, I'm, I'm wanting to meet with you. And then while you're meeting with you, God, I want to pray for my wife. I want you to continue to move in her life. I want you to do this. And it begins to increase not only the intimacy that I have with my father, but the intimacy that I have and want to have. I prayed for my wife. I was reading a book today, and it convicted me about praying for your wife. And I stopped the book right then, spent 10 minutes praying for my wife in the bathroom when she was off working out. And then I immediately walked out, and I wanted to talk with my wife. We talked all the way when I should have been you know, typing up your, your, your sermon inserts. I just did that when I got here. So not only did it, now I can't wait because we talked this morning and said, we're going to start praying together no matter what. I don't care at the end of the night if it's, I don't care if it's first thing, last thing, we're going to start praying together because I'm convinced that prayer builds intimacy. So that's what prayer's purpose is, not to give God a long list of things. Now, does that mean that God doesn't want us to ask for things? No, just like a child, my children ask for stuff all the time. My children this morning were like, hey, can we go to the nursery and watch a movie instead of listening to you preach? And I said, no. And then I'm so glad that I said no because that same child who wanted to go watch a movie was the one who said, you got this, Dad. And that made my day already, so thank you. It's like, well, I'm not gonna say that next time. But, all right, moving along. All right, so let's get back. So the first thing that we notice in this passage today uh, that we're going to get into is, is the importance of prayer. The second thing, so one of those days when he went out to pray on the mountainside, he spent the night praying to God. Then when morning came, so he spent all night praying. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. This is so, uh, 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 don't miss it. When the morning came, he called. So he's been spending the whole night praying. So then he gets up in the morning and he calls all his disciples. Disciples is methetes. It means the students. It means the people who are following him around. They're following him from town to town, down the beach, wherever he's teaching in the area that he's at, and he chose 12 of them. I'm going to read that again. He called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them. He called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them. You guys following me yet? Second thing that we notice is there's more than 12. 
I mean, how often do we just think it's just these 12 guys that are following Jesus around? Like we have this false misconception of Jesus discipling in his ministry. We misunderstand his ministry all the time. Jesus just doesn't have 12 guys walking around with him. There's a lot of guys and a lot of girls following Jesus around because they want to see what he's going to teach next. They want to see if there was a guy that was, that was so powerful in his teaching and then everywhere he went he was healing people lives were being changed and you and 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 you never knew what he was going to do next and when he spoke he he had this authority but love right and you just wanted to be around him and then all of a sudden you just you just quit your job because you got to go where is he going next what is he going to do next so a lot of what's happening is they're like we want to see what he's going to do next so these people were following him around But Jesus has a task at hand that the Father has laid on his heart that we're going to have to select a few of these. We're going to have to get 12 out of how many? Maybe 100, maybe 70. We know that in chapter 2, Jesus sends out 72. So my guess is there's at least 72 in the crowd. But then that's only counting men, not the women. And there was lots of women following Jesus around. 72 plus women. Children would probably also, they, you know, those that weren't in the school things, they were probably falling around wanting to see what Jesus was going to do too. The point is, there was more than 12 to choose from. The word chose in Greek means to select, make a choice, to pick out. So what's happening is there's a whole group of people. Jesus called them out, His disciples to Him, and out of that group, He chose 12 of them. I'm, I'm sitting there as a leader, I'm like, oh man, that is tough. If you've ever been tasked, when you look at so many people and you love them all, and everybody wants the same position, you can't make them all the same position. You can't all, not everyone can be selected to the same thing. And sometimes somebody is not selected, and their feelings are hurt, they feel frustrated. Can you imagine standing in there, hoping that Jesus was going to pick you, and he didn't. The Greek grammar he chose as a middle voice. Jesus was not the only one involved in this choice. And I started thinking, like, well, what did they have to do? They didn't, you know, they already chose to follow him, so they've already made their choice. Then I remembered he spent all night praying. Oh, come on now. He spent all, so it wasn't just Jesus' choice. He spent time praying and saying, God, who out of this group would you have me select for this next position? Who out of this group, who out of my students would you call me to, to, to select from the students to become some teachers? Who's ready? Father, who's ready? I don't know their hearts like you know their hearts. Participle. I love this. I love participles. Participles are a verbal adjective. They always represent a, it's a, it's a, so a verbal adjective, an adjective is something that describes an action that describes they would be known by being selected by Jesus. The 12 that were being selected would thereby be known by being selected. Everybody knows of the 12 disciples by name. We don't know all the names of the 72. True. 
something about when God calls people out and begins to give to them responsibility, they begin to stand out a little bit. True men of God should stand out. True women of God should stand out. They should be known by being women of God. If you have to tell somebody you're a man of God, you're not a man of God. It should stand out all on its own. And people around you shall already know that, not just by how you behave at church, but how you behave at work, and how you behave in the neighborhood, and how you behave at the home. If, if, if your wife and children are, are seeing the, the, the absolute worst version of you, and the church is only seeing this good version of you, then you're living a lie. And it needs to change. So, from whom did God choose from? So, uh, from those who were following him. So one, the people who were following him. So he didn't just like, oh, hey, you're a newbie. Come on in. You know, I'm going to choose you. So he didn't just, he chose from those who were already following him. So when we start talking about how God wants to, out of those who are called to follow, which we're all called to follow, and out of the ones called to follow, you know, the, the Father's always looking for those whom to choose out of that following. So he's, he's looking right now. God is watching over this body of Christ. And He's watching over you and watching for you when you are ready to be drawn out. We were never created to be pew sitters. We were never created to sit on the sidelines and watch the game. He wants us in the game. So God is watching us for us to be ready for that time. So if you're not following Christ, then guess what? You're not eligible. Pretty cut clear, right? <laughs> and I love it. If you're not really following Christ, and that's not just talking about like showing up to church. If you're not really following Christ in your life, your actions, your words, your deeds, you're not eligible to be chosen no matter how gifted you are. I've met a lot of people say, man, I can do this. And they're, they may be charismatic and they may be very gifted, but they're not eligible. They're not qualified. The first qualification is truly following Christ in all of your life. So then, what does it mean to follow Christ? Complete submission. Oh, I love it. Complete submission. You see, as a, for an American, that's pretty hard, is it not? To submit ourselves, to, to completely submit. God, I surrender every part of my life. It's all yours. If you recognize and remember what the disciples did, they submitted their entire life, even their livelihood. If you want us to follow you, we're going to have to, to drop the nets for a while. Well, I gave you a big catch, so you could. So, complete submission. The student is not above the teacher. Complete obedience. Oh, and I'm really stepping on toes. But everyone who's fully trained will be like, so not, not only does he expect me to submit to him and follow him, he expects me to obey him. I heard a preacher the other day actually command people to repent. At first I was like, can you do that? I mean, he did, so I guess he can. But I was sitting there going, like, can you, can you, like, what if I stood up there and said, I command you to repent of the sin? I'm like, wow. How? I'm like, at first I'm like, I don't think that would set well with people. Because you know our problem is? We have too many preachers inviting people to repent. I invite you. I don't want to offend you. I want to invite you. Command. You know what? When you say, I, you know what? Get rid of that sin. I command you in the name of Jesus to stop sinning. Stop it. You know what, what happens then? You either obey or you rebel. Now it's not like, well, I don't really have to do anything because it was only a little invitation. 
what if preachers started being that bold? Something I've been chewing on. So, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, that's the kind of people that Christ will choose out of the following. Those who are following, he will then begin to say, who's ready to deny themselves? Who's ready to pick up the cross of suffering? Anyone who's ever served as a minister of any level knows what it is to suffer. And who's ready to follow me daily? All right, last part of this verse. Verse 12 and 13. So, when the morning came, he called his disciples to himself and he chose. He chose 12 of them whom he also appointed apostles. So the last thing that we see in this passage does not mean that this is the last part of my sermon, so too bad. Jesus appointed them apostles. That's the last thing. Appointed. It means to appoint, elect, elevate. So what he's doing is he's looking out at a group of people who have made commitments. They have been consistent. They're following him. They're gifted. They're, they, they have, you know, and you think about all the people following Jesus at that time. He probably had people who were students of the word already. They'd probably, some of those had already been to the Jewish school, memorized the Torah was a big deal. Maybe some of them were Pharisees ready to submit to whatever ministry that Jesus would call them to, and yet he overlooked them for his own reasons, because of what his conversation had with the Father. He appointed, he elevated them. He, he made a distinction. Ooh, there's a distinction. He made a distinction between students and an appointed. And he appointed them apostles. And I love this word because I think so many times people like, uh, we, we live in this world where people want titles and they love the, the word apostle because they think that that automatically means the highest of all positions you could have. You know, like uh, when Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 and it lists apostles and prophets and then pastors down here and then evangelists and teachers, right? Actually, the evangelists are above. The, the pastors are like the fourth one down. So, hey, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to be an apostle. I want to be a prophet. That's number two, you know? And, and, and so what we do is we get caught up in wanting to try to have and elevate ourselves. God, I want you to have elevate me. Well, I can guarantee you if you're wanting to be elevated, you're going to be overlooked because of your heart's desire. It's already selfish. The apostle here, the word apostolos, it means a delegate, specifically an ambassador of the gospel, officially commissioned of Jesus to be a messenger sent. Where in the world have we come up with some of the definitions of apostle today? Apostle literally means that you, that, that individual was somebody commissioned by Christ to go sent out and sent out to preach the gospel message. That's what apostolos means. We've twisted it to try to become something to where we can elevate ourselves and everybody almost has to worship the person who's an apostle. That's today's world. This was, I'm appointing you officially. You're being commissioned by Christ to be a messenger of the gospel. I love this. Jesus made a distinction. <laughs> Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, no doubt there has to be differences or distinctions among you to show who has what? God's approval. 
You see, when you begin to truly follow the Lord and you're following Him at home and at work and at church and everywhere you are, you'll begin, people, you won't be doing this, but people will begin to see a distinction between you and who just shows up on a Sunday. Because those who just show up on Sunday and they pretend to follow Christ, the rest of their life is chaos and the rest of their life doesn't match up and there's a distinction. There's a distinct difference between the one who really is following Christ and the one who's just a fan of Christ. Oh, come on now. Right? There's a lot of people who are fans of God. They followed Him everywhere. Not everyone will be chosen to be elevated to position of a higher calling. I love how Matthew says it. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are actually chosen. Now, I want to share something because a lot of times we're like, well, then you're only talking to people who are ministers. So I'm going to share something now with you that is not just about being a minister, but this is for everybody. As a disciple, you are called and appointed to represent Christ as an ambassador, of the gospel and to be sent and commissioned as a messenger. I am going to show you that an ambassador here in a minute before you start throwing rocks at me, an ambassador is different than an apostle. We're all called to be an ambassador, and let me show you in the book of 2 Corinthians. We will not all be chosen to be apostles. However, an ambassador is absolutely possible. Look at this, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone Who's anyone? Does that open the door for anyone? So if anyone is in Christ, he is or she is a new creation, right? The, a new creation has come or, uh, and the old is gone and the new has come. So what this is saying is this. As a new creation, so I, when I get saved, I become a new creation. The new is coming, the old is leaving. So as the old leaves, the new comes. Now in the very next verse, so this applies to anyone. If anyone is in Christ. Now, then the next part, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. So this is still about salvation. He reconciled us to himself and what? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Every believer has been given a ministry. So if you are a, a, a creation of Christ, if you are in Christ, you have the ministry of reconciliation. You know what's really sad is that when we get saved and we are given by God a ministry of reconciliation when we can't even reconcile in our homes. And we have a ministry to reconcile the world to God and we can't reconcile in our own house. And then God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Who is this message and ministry of reconciliation to? Anyone in Christ. That's all of us. Very next verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I love this passage. We are Christ as though, listen to this, as though God were making his appeal. So God is making an appeal to the world through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's pretty good, right? So everyone is, who is in Christ is called out to be an ambassador. We are all given a ministry of reconciliation. We are all given a message of reconciliation. So then it kind of led me to this question because I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth and I'm sitting here going, well, if we're all ambassadors, why didn't Jesus then 
out of all of His disciples that were willing there, why didn't He make them all apostles? Well, guys, the answer is simple. Apostles and ambassadors are similar, but not the same. They both have a message, and they both represent, but they're not the same. I'm going to share it out of Mark's, Mark's Gospel. When Jesus went up on the mountainside, He called to Him those He wanted. I was like, whoo! Oh, he called those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him. And see, then all of a sudden, because in Luke, Luke was focused on uh, his aspect that he's focused on is, you know, he prayed and he appointed them apostles. Here they are. Mark is saying, hey, he appointed them for a purpose that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. You see, here's the deal. Not all of his disciples, the students, were ready to go out preaching the gospel at that time. Not all of the disciples, his students, were ready to go out and have authority over demons. I mean, here's the reality. You guys understand that there are demons and they're real. And we understand that a lot of times in the world of psychology, we explain away demonic activity in people's lives. Because demonic activity to talk about people being demon-possessed is too weird. So what we're going to do is we're going to assign to them multiple personalities. Maybe the multiple personalities are demons in their head. Schizophrenia is where we hear voices in your head. Who do you think those voices are? You're hearing something. No doubt. I don't doubt it one bit. But let's just put a bunch of medication to stop the voices. How about we take some authority? But see, the problem is, is that there's so many of the disciples, the students, that weren't ready. They weren't ready. You know what's so sad is later on, Paul writes a church and he says, by now, most of you should be teachers, but I still have to teach you the basics. There were churches even in the first century, so quickly after Jesus was, was, was crucified and resurrected, they were, they were sitting in their chairs then. They should have been teaching the Word of God, but Paul still had to teach them the ABCs to salvation. See, there's a reason why God brings this, this, these series to me. There's a reason why He lays this on my heart. I know. I, I look, I'm like, God is saying, you know what? There's some of us that He's wanting to call out of the following, but we're just not yet ready. And if we're not just yet ready, why? What's getting in your way for God to call you to a higher purpose than the purpose you're sitting in? I even quoted Peter Parker's uncle, Ben. You're welcome. I was like, you know... With great power comes great responsibility, right? I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there to see what you guys would do. So I had to quote where it came from because it's not a Bible verse. Or sometimes people will make these great quotes and like, it's in the Bible. No, that was out of a comic book. But I get your point, you know. So anyway, so what's the point? All right, we're getting close to the end. That's, that's when you know that I've... So whenever I write a sermon, I, always, I don't always put it on a slide but I always say, okay, Daniel, you have all this information, why? What's the point of all this information? Because if there's not a point to it, then you're wasting your time and everybody else's. Here's the point. Many people start off following Christ, but they don't continue to follow Him. How many times have you seen people go to the altar, give their life to Christ, and then you never see Him again? And maybe that might have been you at one point in your life. 
This isn't to put you down. It's just to say, reality is this. A lot of people, many, many people will say, God, I need you. And when he shows up and does what they need, then they don't need him anymore. That's not really following him. It's saying, God, I need a mechanic at the moment. So when you really follow Christ, there's going to be a lot of changes in your life. Many will follow until something happens. So I'm going to give you three just basic reasons of why people stop following the Lord. They will follow until following gets too hard. John chapter 6, he, ter- he feeds the 5,000. This is an amazing story. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He then gets in a boat, goes across the sea. Everybody say across the sea. Make sure you're listening. Okay, so some of you participated. Thank you for being obedient. The rest of you are being rebellious children. Now, so then from that moment, so they, they went across the sea. People got in boats, went across the sea to follow Jesus. Then Jesus got to the other side and he began to teach them a lesson they didn't like. Don't just, don't just follow me for food. He then says, I am real food. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. That didn't... They didn't like that. Oh, you're calling us to be cannibals? No, but they they couldn't follow. And you know what? On hearing it, on hearing what Jesus was teaching, I am the bread of life. On hearing it, many of his disciples, students, many of his students, his disciples, said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, I want you to think about it. The hardest thing that you've ever had to do in your life is probably forgive the one that hurt you the most. Am I right? Am I right? This is a hard teaching. Who can do it? How many of you have said at some point in your life, I will not forgive them? Anybody ever said that? A lot of us in this very room. I will not. So what's happening is this. Jesus is doing a teaching. His teachings are not easy. He's making a teaching. People are saying, this is a hard teaching. This is hard. Who can really forgive? Who can love their enemy? Who can pray for the one who's mean to them? Who can do that? Who can give to the one who asks? Who? 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 This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And it goes on to say, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's too hard. It's too hard. People come into the church and say, you know what, Daniel, you preach too hard. You're too convicting. I've I've actually had people tell me, you're too convicting. There's probably a church down the road that won't convict you at all. You know, there's just some membership dues to be a part of a country club. That's all. So, the second thing is, is we'll follow until it gets in the way of self. Until it gets in the way of what I want. Matthew chapter 19 Um, he was talking to a rich young ruler who said, I want to know what it takes to be saved. And he says, well, follow all the commandments. Well, I've been doing that. He goes, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then what? Come follow. Jesus is inviting this guy to be a part of the following. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then follow me. Come on. Just go get rid of it all. Turn it over. Now follow me. Just you and me. Come on. Let's do this. And the guy walked away. When he heard this, he went away, sad because he had great wealth. His wealth was more important than following Christ. His stuff. A lot of people say, well, I'm not wealthy. Well, you got a lot of stuff. And if you're an American, you're rich. Just ask any third world country person. Last one, until it gets in the way of sin. 
We like our sin. Let's just not lie about it. I want to follow Christ until he starts getting in my life personally. They like to go to church until the preacher preaches against their sin. Listen, if there's sin in your life, it's all free game. I'm going to preach against it all. Not just the sins that you're not dealing with, but the sins you're dealing with. Because God is not playing a game. So, so until it gets in the way of our sin, John 8, I love this, how he's, um, he, he has this woman caught in adultery. All the people wanted to stone her. And so he's, he just simply says, hey, who, he who has never sinned, you cast the first stone. Okay. Nobody did. So then he asks her, he says, well, where are, where are those, you know, um, has no one condemned you? That's what he asked. She said, no one, sir. Jesus says, neither do I. Do you know how many people I have had that were living in a mountain of sin come and quote that part of the verse to me? They said, Daniel, Jesus didn't condemn her. You're right, but you know what he also says? Go now and leave your life of sin. Stop it. You see, he didn't just say, hey, I don't condemn you. Come on in. We're just going to all live in our sin together. No, he says, I'm not going to condemn you either, but you got to stop it. Or you will stand condemned already. John 3, 17. Now, in John 8, I'm going to read a little bit of this. We're almost there. I only got two slides left. Only 20 minutes apiece. Just to, I'm just letting you know so that you're awake. So, so Jesus, let me make sure, John 8. Okay, very good. Okay. This does not look, yeah, it is right. Okay, I was saying, this doesn't look right. So the disciples, or the Jews, had always had this issue with Jesus. They had this issue of, of uh, believing him, or, or they didn't like his teachings. They didn't like what he stood for because he was basically against everything that they did. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to go away in verse 21. I am going away and you will seek me. You're going to look for me. And you will die in your sin. What? You will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. Where did Jesus go? He's talking to church people, the religious people, the people who were teaching the Jewish people. They didn't understand God. They didn't understand His real teachings. And I love in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, He says this, Do not be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. This would also include women with women nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards. Nor... See, this isn't just, a lot of people say, oh, oh, you're just preaching against homosexuality. Homosexuality is one on the list. Drunkards is not just alcohol, it's drugs. Anything that alters your mind, that's the drunkard. The greedy is any time where I will put something above God. You know how you know if you're greedy? Check your book. Is God a part of your checkbook or not? Thieves. Did you know that God called a whole bunch of people thieves? In Malachi chapter 3, will a man rob God? They're like, we haven't stole nothing from the temple. We didn't steal nothing from the church. And he says, you have with your tithes and your offerings. Because you didn't bring what I've commanded you to bring, 10% of your income, you are now stealing. You are a thief to God. Not my words. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, go read it. 
He says, not, nor swindlers or slanderers. You know what a slanderer is? Somebody who's murmuring about other people. If you are a gossiper, you're on the list. Sexually immoral is this. Sex before marriage. Plain and simple. Sex before marriage. Sexually immoral. Idolaters. All of us are carrying around a stupid idol. If you are putting your phone, Facebook, social media, anything above the time with God, it's an idol. No idolater. Do not be deceived. Guys, I didn't write it. This isn't my thoughts. This is God's Word. He's not playing a game with sin. You know how many people are going to stand there and say, God, I went to church. I told you not to be deceived. Did I not write you a letter that said, don't be deceived? How many people have came and said, I was born this way. Yeah, why you need to be born again? I often wonder if people who are living in a sin that would keep them from heaven actually want to know it. You know what? Most don't. Because they want to be deceived. I want to live. I will follow Jesus until His Word starts confronting my sin. And then He oversteps. No, He's trying to save you from the pit of hell. He said, narrow is the way that leads to life. Not many find it, but broad is the way to destruction. He has warned us through His Word over and over and over and over again. So in the very end of this verse, in the very end of these, this, this passage where he's talking to these Jews, he then spoke and he said to the Jews, so he said, listen, you're going to die in your sin. At the end of this, many of the Jews believed in him. And Jesus said, if you hold, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He's saying, this is what it means to be a disciple, that you're holding to my teaching. Then, see, not before, Right? To be a disciple is to hold on to the teachings of Christ. Then you will what? Know the truth and what the truth will set you free. We don't want to go to hell. So God, we know that this sexually immoral is not getting in. We know the swindler. We know the stealer. We know the thieves. God, we know what your word says. We know the truth. And God, we want to be set free. I want to be set free from drunkenness. I want to be set free from the sexual immorality. I want to be set free. You see, when you hold to the teachings of God, that's when you're a student. Then you will know the truth and the truth sets you free. So my last question to you today is this. Are you really following Christ? That's the question today. That's our time right now. Are you a true follower of Christ or are you a fan? Like a lot of people are a fan of God. I love, I love his teachings. I love how he talks about love. I love, you know, and we don't want to talk about his wrath, but we, we oh, I th that's a fan. A follower says, man, God also turned over tables and made a whip and whooped everybody in that church. Everybody's out. When we start thinking about being a follower, it's, God, this is completely your way and I'm submitting to all of it. And I'm going to be obedient to your word. That's what it means to be a true follower. If you're not truly following Christ, you're dis you disqualify yourself from anything that he would want to call you out of. Think about that. When I'm not really following him, I'm disqualified from being chosen to a higher place. Think about this. God has a plan for your life. Every single one of you. He has this beautiful, amazing plan that he 
predestined you for. Right? He predestined you. He created all these works that He would have you do on this earth before you were ever born. And half of us, so many people, keep disqualifying themselves from being called out to do it. Because they're not truly following Christ. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to ask yourself that question. Guys, be honest. What good does a sermon do if I can't even be honest about it? Here's the thing is you may be looking at this saying, man, I have made so many changes in my life this last year. I made all these changes, but I still haven't quite got to that point. Well, what's in the way? Right now, what is in the way of you truly following Christ? Is it your checkbook? I mean, is, is, has tithing become something so big of a deal that you're opposed to that it's keeping you from truly following God? Because he says you can keep 90%, I want 10. I mean, that's the most generous boss ever. Is it idolatry? I mean, think about this. When you get up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? Is the first thing that you do, you grab your phone to see if there's any notifications from the night before that you missed out on? Or is the first thing that you do is say, God, I am so excited to spend this day with you. When you begin your day, who gets the best of you? Your phone or God? Be honest. Because if your phone gets the best time of you, it's an idol. And you need to do some fasting from it. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Gossip, lying. Swindling is cheating people. So my question to you is, what is in the way of you completely and fully following Christ? And I'm asking you this, if there is something in the way and you know it, I'm asking you. No, I'm commanding you to repent of it. In the name of Jesus, you com command you. Not because I'm trying to force you or be mean to you, but because I care about you. If there's something in the way right now, in the name of Jesus, repent. I repented this very morning because I hadn't spent enough time praying for my wife who I love. I was on my knees in a bathroom this morning repenting. So there's no reason that all of us can't repent any day and every day that we see something in our life that doesn't belong. I invite you right now to the altar. If there's anybody who needs to drop something off, if you need to pray, if you need to, to just give something, maybe it's worry. Maybe worry is in the way right now. Maybe you're so worried about something that you can't even control that you just need to hand it over to God and say, God, this is yours. I can't, I can't control this.